softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O oh sinner, come home. Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O oh sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. We have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. I appreciate the honks, but I'll never feel like that's a good thing. It feels like when someone honks at you, they're telling you to stop doing whatever it is you were doing. Yeah, I get it, Leo Bonner. Thank you. Grace and peace and welcome to the parking lot here at Cokesbury United Methodist Church on this hot and humid last Sunday of June. It is a joy and a privilege to be here with you to worship the Lord in glory and splendor on this day. Today is my final Sunday as the pastor of Cokesbury. It has been a privilege and a joy to serve here these last four years. I am wearing the Cokesbury stole. This was knit by Juanita Brown, I believe, well, many years ago, but it's been tradition for pastors here to pass this stole on to the next pastor of the church. It was given to me on my first Sunday uh, when I met with uh, Pastor Gail, a few weeks ago, I shared with her that this stole is just about to be hers for her to wear. So I wear it today in honor of uh, being part of this church the last four years, uh, recognizing that pastors come and go. I mean, that's part and parcel with Methodism. We're not Baptists. You don't get stuck with a uh, preacher for 20 years or 25 years. You're lucky if you get somebody for four. Uh, which is what you all have had me for, and I'm excited about uh, what is going to happen next for this church with Pastor Gale, for the ways in which God's word will be proclaimed here in Woodbridge and in the local community and even beyond the borders of our local community. I'm excited for your faithfulness because I have seen it grow in the time I've been here, and I can't wait to see how much it will continue to grow and grow and grow. 
there are a few things I want to share in terms of announcements. The first being that next Sunday, July the 4th, will be Pastor Gail's first Sunday. It will be, uh, there will be a drive-in service just like this one, and there will also be an online service. But please take note that it won't happen at 11 a.m. It will be happening at 10 a.m. There's also uh, plans in the work for there to be a service on the 11th of July, which is two weeks from today, at uh, 10 o'clock a.m. here in the parking lot, but also an online service as well. Uh, please continue to check your emails and the church website for more notices about worship and what it will look like going forward. Um, I just want to remind you all again that because this is my last Sunday, this is my last chance to say goodbye. This is my last opportunity to be your pastor, to pray for you, to, to share the word, to share the sacrament. And just as four years ago, you trusted this strange young man who wandered off the streets of Stanton, Virginia from his last church to serve here, I hope and know that you will trust the Spirit's movement and Pastor Gail, that you will give to her the same excitement and respect that you gave to me, that you will pray for her just as you prayed for me, uh, and that you'll continue to pray for her and pray for my family as we make a transition to serving a different church. Uh, I made mention of a number of people two weeks ago that I wanted us to applaud and give thanks for. Um, there's one person that wasn't here two weeks ago that we really, really need to thank, and that's Bob Kacharik. Bob is in the farthest car to your right. He's over there waving. On the count of three, would you all please honk your horns for Bob? One, two, three. Bob hates that kind of stuff, so I did that just for you, Bob. Uh, Bob has been the staff parish chair for the last few years. He has done a remarkable job making sure that I'm doing my job and that the church is doing its job, and he's done a lot for the transition that has been taking place and will be taking place. So also keep Bob in your prayers. Uh, when you see him, when you see him in person or online, please thank him. He really has done so much for this church. Bob, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, while I was walking around before the service, a number of you made mention of the fact that you don't think you've ever seen a preacher wear such short shorts as the ones I'm wearing today. I wanted to say that uh, I wanted to give you something to remember me by. So I, I'm glad that this is your lasting image of me as a pastor up here wearing a clergy collar, but also wearing some, some short shorts. It's also pretty hot, so I'm trying to take care of myself. On Facebook this week, I reached out to a lot of pastors and I said, hey, tell me what is the best advice that you could share in your final sermon before you move to another appointment, but only give me wrong answers, which is just another way of saying, what are the things you shouldn't say in your last worship service? So I'm gonna share with you what people said I shouldn't say because they're just too good not to share. So here are the things that I would never say, but I'm going to say them for my last worship service. I want you all to know that the best time, the very best time to request a meeting with the new pastor is right before worship starts on Sunday morning. I can't wait to use all of you as sermon examples in my next church. There are only two bad pastors in this conference, the one who came before me and the one who comes after me. Jesus loves you, and I don't know why. And then my favorite of all, may God have mercy on your souls. So those are the things I didn't want to say and would never ever dare to say on my final Sunday as the pastor of this church. So now that we've gotten the funny stuff and some of the important stuff out of the way, let's do what we are here to do and let's worship God. So I encourage you to find a posture of prayer in your cars, perhaps close your eyes for a moment and let's sit and rest in silence.
Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. O Lord, in your strange, confounding, and infinite wisdom, you have stitched our lives together for these last four years. And yet, O Lord, four years is nothing in your time. It is but a blink. For you, O Lord, have been our God since time began. And you will be with us until the end, until the eschaton, until the resurrection of the dead. We pray for our time today, O Lord, as we gather to worship you, to hear your word, to respond to it, and to go forth. We pray that you might enlighten our hearts and our minds by the proclamation of your word, that you might fill us spiritually and physically with bread and cup, that we might be the people you've called us to be. But above all, Lord, we are here today to give thanks. We give thanks to you and your Son and your Spirit, who time and time and time and time again do precisely for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves on our own. And now, O Lord, each of us will pray silently to you or aloud, lifting up our own joys and our own concerns this day. O Lord, let your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And all God's people say, Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. This is Romans 1, verses 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 301 from the United Methodist hymnal, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. The refrain is, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. I'm going to be singing and also playing along on the cajon, so if you would like to hum along or sing along if you know the words, join me in Jesus, keep me near the cross. Keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the a trembling soul love and mercy found me there the bright and morning star shed 
spreads its beams around me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, I finally did it. I managed, after all these years, to finally please everyone. Some of you were happy when I was appointed here, some of you were happy while I was here, and the rest of you are now happy that I'm leaving. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. I have finally pleased everyone. Now, it was more than a decade ago that I entered seminary in hopes that I would one day do exactly what I'm doing right now. I was persuaded that the church was already the better place God had made in the world and I wanted to be part of that. And when I went to school for this, I didn't learn about the, the virtues of nicety. I didn't go to seminary in order to learn how to make people feel better about themselves. That's certainly not what I felt God had called me to do. And yet, more often than not, it's exactly what I, other clergy, and most Christians do all the time. Rather than speaking the truth in love, we are far more inclined to sweep things under the rug. Rather than taking seriously the biblical commandments of discipleship, we're content with letting our faith be something we do for one hour every week. Rather than hoping against hope for things not yet seen, we rest in the presumed knowledge that things will kind of just always stay the same. But none of that's very interesting, it's not very compelling, and it certainly doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Which makes me wonder, like I do at times like this, why in the world are you here? Now I'm sure that for some of you, you can't imagine being anywhere else. Perhaps you've grown up in the church or it's become 
so much of a fixture in your life that you just can't imagine doing anything else on a Sunday morning. Meanwhile, I know that some of you are here because you have more questions than answers and you want that to change. Maybe life has dealt you a raw hand or you've experienced one too many hardships or you're frightened about what tomorrow might offer and you're looking for the church to bring you some solace. And some of you, some of you are here against your will. Perhaps a friend or a family member drag you here in the name of love, mind you, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. But chances are, no matter why we think we're here, we're here because we want to know more about Jesus. I mean, people still keep calling me and emailing me with all these very specific questions about a first century carpenter turned rabbi. The Discovery Channel is forever creating new documentaries about the person in question, and people like you drive to places like this on Sunday morning. But here's the truth, a truth I want to share with you on my last Sunday here. We know nothing about Jesus except what we read in the New Testament. And that's a rather bizarre part of Christianity. Sure, I've been to seminary. I have committed my life to this thing. I study scripture daily. But all of you have just as much access to the Lord as I do because it's all right there in scripture. St. Paul will say elsewhere, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. On this, my final Sunday, I hope, I pray that the same can be said of me. That throughout these last four years, I have endeavored to do one thing and only one thing, and that has proclaimed the good news of God made manifest in Jesus Christ and him crucified. But this story... This story I've tried to tell week after week after week, this story that you read in your Bibles again and again, it is a story of scandal. To use another Pauline word, it is shameful. I mean, think about it. A child born in extraordinary circumstances to entirely ordinary parents, raised in the forgotten town of Nazareth, propelled into a ministry of teaching and healing, surrounded by would-be followers who, when things get tough, they abandon him to the fate of death all on his own. Now, if the story of Jesus ended with his crucifixion, I assure you that not a one of us would be here doing this right now. If the story ended with his death, he would simply have been one of many who died at the hands of the state for causing too much of a ruckus. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, it's where things kind of take off. Resurrection. He is risen. He has gone on ahead of you to Galilee. But that's not really what we often hear about Jesus. Instead, we're inclined to lift him up as this moral exemplar or some ethical genius, which neither of those things are true. Jesus broke all kinds of rules, and it's not a very good idea to tell people to turn the other cheek unless the one saying that happens to be God in the flesh raised from the dead. I mean, look at any of the epistles and you will see that there was and perhaps always will be an awareness that disciples are going to be tempted to retreat from Jesus in embarrassment or fear or confusion. It happened prior to the crucifixion. Look at Peter. It happens today. And no one knows about this shame better than Paul. This is how he begins his letter to the church in Rome. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Those are strong words to the early church, and they are strong words for the church today. Because at the heart of his proclamation, all of Paul's letters, is the cross. It is the cross. And for the centrality of the cross to be so prominent in his letters is rather odd, considering how little it is mentioned or referred to in the life of faith today. I mean, there are new churches butting up all over the place, and you know what's unique about them? They don't have crosses in their sanctuaries. There are plenty of Christians who have settled with describing Jesus as just a nice guy, but never dare refer to him as the Lord. There are loads of churches who envision themselves as just being yet another boring civic organization and nothing more. And you can't really blame the church for doing so. In many ways, people like me have watered down the complete and confounding radicality of Christ's death for the ungodly. That's how Paul will refer to it in just a few chapters in Romans. Jesus died an ungodly death for an ungodly people. That is scandalous. But I don't really know if we're scandalized. I mean, most Sundays, whether online or in a parking lot or in person inside a sanctuary, we, we look like we've got it all together, or at least that's what we want other people to think. But we certainly don't want anyone to think of us, and we don't want to think of ourselves as ungodly or sinful or bad. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. His proclamation is a terrifying declaration of knowing the condition of his condition. I am not ashamed of the gospel is just another way of saying, I am not ashamed of how bad I need God to do for me what I cannot and could not do on my own. Do you see, Paul was in this place, this beautiful and confounding place of recognizing how God is the one who meets us in Jesus. God is the one who acts on and in our lives. God is the one who makes a way where there is no way, not the other way around. I mean, the gospel is about Jesus. It's about what Jesus does for us, not what we do for him. And for a long time, I've been just fascinated with the scene in scripture of Jesus' crucifixion with these two thieves, these two criminals on either side. These thieves who had mocked him and ridiculed him like the crowds. And there's this remarkable moment where one of the thieves just happens to say, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Think about that. He doesn't say anything else. He doesn't do anything else. All he says is, Jesus, remember me. And you know what Jesus says to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know about you, I can't wait to talk to that guy in the eschaton, in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to, I mean, I'll be happy to see all of you too, but I can't wait to see him. I'm going to find that criminal, and I'm going to say, how did that all turn out for you? Because I can imagine him, you know, walking around with all the saints of glory, and they're all whistling, they're looking at him, here's the criminal with Jesus. How did he get in? Excuse me, Mr. Criminal, who let you in? You never went to church. You don't know the Apostles' Creed. You never tithed your money. How did you get in? You know what the criminal says? The guy on the center cross said I could come. It's all about what Jesus does for us. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone. I am not 
ashamed of the gospel. It, it is the power of God. Not the power of me or the church. It's the power of God. I know that there are moments in life where it feels like we have nothing to hold on to, but Jesus is the one who holds on to us. The world will forever tell us many things, but the gospel tells us something different. That we are sinners, beloved by the one we crucified. The Lord is risen from the dead, ruler of all things, of all things past, present, and future. Jesus doesn't work according to the ways of the world. Jesus doesn't say, bring to me your perfect families and your perfect jobs and your perfect lives. No, Jesus says, bring to me your burdens and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't look at all of our choices and our actions in order to weigh out whether or not we're good enough to make it through the pearly gates. Instead, he says, I have come to save sinners and only sinners. Jesus does not write us off for all of our faults and failures. Instead, he says, you are mine and I am thine. No matter what happens, we Christians are people of hope. We are people of hope because the gospel is the good news of God for the world. We need not worry about this and that and the other because our hope, it isn't in us. It's not in me. It's not in Pastor Gale. It's not in the local community. It's not in the United Methodist Church. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hear the good news. Nothing can take us away from the love that refuses to let us go. God is in the business of resurrection and salvation, which means that no matter how bad we are, and no matter how good we are, God can and will do what we can't. Everybody, even the worst stinker in the world, is someone for whom Christ died. We need not be ashamed of the gospel. It's the only good news for a world drowning in bad news, and it is ours for free, for nothing. While we were sinners, not before, not after, but in the midst of our sins, in the worst thing we ever did, Jesus chooses to die and rise for us. He has taken the responsibility of salvation squarely onto his shoulders. He has gone and done it all without us having to do a thing. And then he invites us to trust that he has done all of this for us and to proclaim that trust by acting as if we really believe it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, you have done more for us than we could ever ask for or dare to imagine. You have called us forth to be your people. For once we were no people, but now we are your people. You have already determined and discerned the end of our stories, the resurrection of the dead. So in this life, whenever we say goodbye, it is not really goodbye, it is until next time, until we rise with you in all the saints of glory and we sup with you, with the Lamb, the feast that goes on forever and ever and ever. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all, all, everywhere, in any place, 
at any time. Those with great faith, those with no faith, those who are young, those who are old, those who are healthy, those who are wealthy, those who are neither. Christ our Lord invites to his table. If there is room for Judas, friends, I assure you there is room for you and for me. So let's pray before we gather at the Lord's table. Lord, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved you as we should. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have failed to be an obedient church, and yet you have mercy and you have pardoned. For you believe in us even when we can't believe in ourselves. You see potential in us even when we can't see it. So as we confess, O Lord, we do so strangely enough with the knowledge that we are people who live in the light of forgiveness. So Lord, help us all to see, know, and believe that your Son died for us while we were yet sinners, which proves God's love toward us. So friends, I share with you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God in the highest. Amen, amen, and amen. Lord, we remember that on your son's final night, he gathered with his friends, friends who loved him, but also friends who would betray him and abandon him and deny him. And yet he took bread. He gave thanks to you. He gave it to his friends and said, take and eat. This is my body. I'm giving it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, Lord, your son also took a cup. He gave thanks to you, passed it to his friends and said, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Lord, we are a people of memory. We remember what you have done in anticipation of what you are doing and what you will do. And it's with this hope, O oh Lord, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and all these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and the blood of your Son, that in feasting we might be more like his body, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, Lord, make us one with each other, one in ministry to all people in all places, this day and every day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we all pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Though we are many, we are in fact one in the body of Christ. And though we have sinned, we have mercy and pardon in the blood and the cup of salvation. In just a moment, I will come to each of you in your cars bearing these gifts from God. They're not a gift from me or the church. These are from God. Our communion elements are as sanitary as we can have them. There's two layers to peel back. You peel back the top layer and then you'll get a wafer. You can consume the wafer. When you peel back the second layer, there will be the grape juice and then you can consume the grape juice. As I come around, I'll also be coming with our offering basket. If you have an offering you would like to share with the church, you can uh, share that as I come around with communion. And once we're done, I'll pray over our offerings and offer a final blessing and benediction before God's peace goes with us. So enter a time of prayerful consideration for this gift you do not deserve, and yet God gives it to you anyway, and I will come bring it to you.
Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the abundance of gifts that you've showered in our lives, including the bread and the cup that we just received. I am also so thankful, Lord, as we all are for these gifts that have come for you and your church. Please bless these gifts that they might be used for your will to be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Lord, give us grace each and every day that we might be people who walk not in the ways that lead to death, but the ways that lead to life and life everlasting. Amen. Dear friends, it has been a joy and a privilege and an honor to serve as the pastor here. I am excited about the next chapter for Cokesbury United Methodist Church. I'm grateful that I got to be part of one chapter. I'm so glad that my face is already plastered to the wall up there in the hall of all the pastors who have come before me. I'm also grateful that God endures no matter who the pastor of a church is. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I will miss you, I will pray for you, and I look forward to seeing you in the eschaton when we all gather together at the Supper of the Lamb to celebrate forever and ever and ever. So go forth now with this blessing and this benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resur resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that you need not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the only good news that this world will ever hear. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Go in peace, my friends. Be well. Amen. Amen. And amen.